the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi confirms she will visit four Asian countries amid mounting tensions with China. At this point, she does need to go for the sake of our national security. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin defends his backing of the reconciliation bill. I made sure there was no tax increases in this whatsoever. Groundbreaking actress Nichelle Nichols, known for her role on Star Trek, has died. He said, don't you understand? For the first time, we are seen as we should be seen. You don't have a black role. You have an equal role. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, August 1st. I'm Mike Scott. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi confirmed on Sunday she will visit four Asian countries this week, but made no mention of a possible stop in Taiwan that has fueled tension with Beijing, which claims the island democracy as part of its territory. While the Speaker has made no concrete mention of traveling to the island nation, Chinese President Xi Jinping warned against meddling in Beijing's dealings with Taiwan in a phone call Thursday with President Joe Biden. Speaker Pelosi is finding some backing among Republicans if she does, indeed, travel to Taiwan. Why would it be an international incident uh, for the Speaker of the House or or anybody tied to the United States government to go and show support for an ally of ours? If they see the bad guys able to threaten the United States of America, that means no country is safe. From tyranny. Meanwhile, Beijing sees American contact with Taiwan as support for Taiwan's independence, a step that some U.S. leaders say they do not support. The Biden administration, for its part, didn't explicitly urge Pelosi to avoid Taiwan, but tried to assure Beijing there was no reason to escalate tensions if such a visit occurred and that it wouldn't signal a change in U.S. policy. John Ratcliffe, the former director of national intelligence, joined Fox News to discuss the speaker's potential visit to Taiwan. It's been mismanaged by the Biden administration, and at this point she does need to go for the sake of our national security uh, so that the American people see that the Chinese Communist Party is not the one dictating American foreign policy, that it is uh, the American government doing that. But the the Biden administration... um, Uh, publicly talking about it ahead of time and then not backing up Nancy Pelosi uh, with the media or on the call with President Xi Jinping. I mean, I I think we've come to expect that uh, President Biden, uh, you know, his weakness comes through. We didn't have high expectations for that call, but very clearly he did not back up the speaker's uh, right to go to Taiwan. And as a result, uh, President Xi is acting on that weakness. Ratcliffe says that Pelosi's visit comes at a critical time. You know, one of the things that's very concerning here, uh, listen to, to Secretary Pompeo and his remarks regarding Taiwan, 
um, are, are really spot on is, as you know, there's open uh, source reporting about our intelligence community being concerned that uh, China may move to uh, invade Taiwan in the next 18 months. Uh, we have long known in the intelligence community that if the, uh, if the Chinese weren't able to, uh, the Chinese government was not able to reunite Taiwan politically, that they would do so militarily. But it's always been nebulous and indefinite in a timetable. And we now know uh, from our own intelligence reporting and, and from, um, from our allies in the Indo-Pacific that President Xi is talking about a timetable of moving on Taiwan in the next 18 months. And I don't think that's any, uh, that's not a coincidence that that happens to be the timetable during which uh, Joe Biden will continue to be the American president. Ratcliffe also believes that, in his opinion, President Joe Biden has been a failure in foreign policy. You know, we had this debacle in Afghanistan. You know, the Biden administration lost and surrendered to, to the Taliban. Uh, they did not deter Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. And now we've got this unprecedented circumstance of China uh, literally um, uh, talking about an invasion of Taiwan uh, through our intelligence community sources. Any, in, any one of these individuals would have been, uh, in individual events would have been um, historic and noteworthy. The fact that all three of these things are happening uh, during the Biden administration really speaks to what a disaster uh, he has been as a foreign policy president. Ratcliffe goes on to say that, in his opinion, President Biden's son Hunter, allegedly having financial ties to China, may be influencing the president's stance on China. But the concern also is, as you have pointed out, Maria, is um, he has advisors that are soft on China, domestic and foreign policy advisors that you know, <clears throat> have worked for BlackRock and and uh, and have been engaged with the Chinese Communist Party on multiple levels. His policies have been soft across the board. And then the issues about yeah. Hunter Biden and 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 the role that uh, uh, that has played, and whether or not there's a financial element to 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 the Biden family that has affected uh, a weak uh, China policy. We just know that it's likely to continue. And as we've talked about, that's that's why there is such a danger to our national security posture with Joe Biden as president right now particularly as it comes to the Chinese Communist Party. Should Speaker Pelosi travel to Taiwan, she would be the highest-ranking elected American official to visit Taiwan since then-Speaker Newt Gingrich in 1997. Historic flooding in eastern Kentucky has caused many to lose everything. The rains brought another blow to a region that is among the poorest in America, the death toll standing at 26 on Sunday, and Governor Andy Bashir says it is expected to rise. We've been devastated by historic floodings in eastern Kentucky that have now taken the lives of at least 26 Kentuckians. We do know of additional bodies that have been recovered, but we cannot confirm those deaths at this time. Bashir says the next couple of days will be hard, especially because of the weather forecast. We've got rain and maybe even a lot of rain that's going to hit the same areas. Please pray for the people in these areas. And if you are in the areas that are going to get hit by rain, make sure you stay safe. Make sure you have a place that is higher ground. Uh, Go to a shelter. Just please, please uh, be safe. This Kentucky resident, Hubert Thomas, breaks down when he describes what he has left. I had my whole life saved and saved him. (laughs) Yeah. I ain't got nothing. 
Kentucky resident Eunice Howard says she barely escaped the floodwaters. Within 10 to 12 minutes, I heard a noise and I raised the window and I seen the water and I knew I had to get out of there. About $700,000 has been raised for some relief efforts, Bashir said on Saturday, noting funeral expenses for those killed in the flooding will be paid for. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin joined Fox News Sunday and explained why he agreed to support a new spending package promising that it will not raise taxes or worsen inflation. The new bill includes a 15% corporate minimum tax for businesses worth more than $1 billion. It's estimated to raise $313 billion and will close the carried interest loophole estimated to raise another $14 billion. The senator insists this is not the same as raising taxes. Senator Manchin defended a minimum tax on corporations with a billion dollars or more in earnings. The only thing we have done is basically say that every corporation of a billion dollars of value or greater in America should pay at least 15 percent a minimum corporate tax. Senator Manchin says he's now in agreement with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer that it closes a tax loophole. Most businesses and all corporations that I know of pay 21%. So that's not a tax increase, it's closing a loophole. Manchin countered that in order to curb inflation, the U.S. does need future investment. I always felt we should be able to fight inflation and try to give relief to people all over America right now with the highest inflation rates they've ever seen. And next of all, we do it by producing. You've got to produce. And if you're going to produce, you have to be able to have more energy so you can get the gas prices down, have more production and more manufacturing so you can get people working and not have layoffs and things of that sort. So it's going to take some investments. I've always looked at that for a balanced approach. I never could get there. didn't think I was going to get there this time. But it all came to fruition and it worked out, and I'm happy it did. Manchin continues to insist he made sure there were no tax hikes in the bill. All we're doing is basically saying the largest corporations in America that have a billion dollars of value or greater have to pay a minimum of 15 percent to help this great country. That's all. I don't think anyone in West Virginia thought that anyone could get by with not paying at least or 21 percent. So we did not raise taxes. We've closed loopholes. That's all we did. I made sure there was no tax increases in this whatsoever. The West Virginia senator went on to say that he was wrong about inflation in the past, but promises not to make that mistake again. I made sure I don't make that mistake again. That's the bottom line. I make sure I didn't make that mistake again. With that, I tried. I was anticipating that we could help and do more. And, and, and everything that you've said here is correct, and I'm not countering that whatsoever. That's why I was extra cautious right now. And for the eight months that I have endured being against Build Back Better and all the different things that the Democrat colleagues wanted to do, I thought was wrong. Definitely couldn't do any more and stopped all that from happening, Brett. Uh, this is a piece of legislation that's an investment. We've taken $3.5 trillion in spending that was aspirational spending that my colleagues wanted to do on the Democrat side. And we've taken that down to a $400 billion investment. We're not sending a check to anybody. Jen Kearns, a Republican political strategist, joined the Salem Radio Network and said about Manchin. Here's the bottom line of it. Um, Chuck Schumer went to Joe Manchin and tried to get him to sign off on 40, 40 tax increases that the Democrats are pushing, everything from climate change to tax increases on businesses, you name it. Joe Manchin, to Chuck Schumer's chagrin, um, had uh, 
Chuck Schumer by the you-know-what, the cojones, as you would say, in New Jersey. <laughs> Joe Manchin only agreed to two of the 40 tax increases. So that's a pretty good day at the office. So don't be too disappointed to Joe Manchin. Oh. The two the two tax increases, Joe, that Joe Manchin agreed to yeah. were, I, I, I hate to say they're minor. No tax increase is minor. Yeah. But they were all on uh, very large businesses, billion-dollar-plus businesses, Kearns also says that while no tax increase is minor, the tax increases Manchin did agree to do not directly impact the average American family. One of them was to close the, um, oh, what do you call it, the, the carried interest loophole that basically yeah, is, yeah, says yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah, um, yeah. These hedge fund managers who are treating part of their earnings as capital gains they're now going to have a, a little bit of a tax rate, but no more than 20%. Again, not saying that tax increase is good, but those were on the bigger corporations. They weren't on the American people at a time when inflation is hitting moms and dads and people who are listening to this show, driving to work, driving trucks, um, you name it. So I have to say it's a pretty good day at the office when Joe Manchin has Chuck Schumer in that position where he can say, no, nah, I'm not going to agree to any of these. Well, maybe two of them. That's a pretty good day. Manchin faces re-election in 2024 in a state where Donald Trump prevailed in every county in the past two presidential races. The U.S. Postal Service is creating a division to handle election mail issues. Daybreak Insider correspondent Greg Cluxton has more for us on this developing story. The Postal Service was dogged by backlogs and questions ahead of the 2020 presidential election, during which the agency delivered more than 135 million ballots. In an effort to ensure swift and secure delivery of ballots for the 2022 midterms, a new postal division will handle election mail issues. Officials say it will be dedicated to dealing with election matters instead of handling issues one at a time, as in the past. Greg Clugston, Washington. The House passed legislation Friday to revive a ban on certain types of semi-automatic weapons, the first vote of its kind in years. Once banned in the U.S., the high-powered firearms are now widely blamed as a weapon of choice among young men responsible for some of the devastating mass shootings. Massachusetts Congressman Jim McGovern says the Second Amendment, in his opinion, is not absolute. You have the right to keep and bear arms, but you don't have the right to own weapons being used to mow people down indiscriminately. Rights come with responsibilities, and we have a responsibility to try and stop mass shootings. Pennsylvania Congressman Guy Renschenthaler says the Democrats' aim in the legislation is very clear. Let's call this for what it is. It's a gun grab, pure and simple. This bill is not about public safety. Rather, this is the most severe restriction on the Second Amendment since the passage of the assault weapons ban of 1994. Debate over whether the economy is in a recession is still on the minds of many pundits following a second quarter decline in the country's GDP. Meantime, some small business owners say they're already feeling the crunch. At Trim's Barbershop in Jacksonville, Florida, the owner says the parking lot has been mostly empty on many days as customers hold off on haircuts and trims for more essential purposes. Lloyd Blankfein of Goldman Sachs says no matter if you call the economy in a recession or not, 
We're certainly in a different place than most other historical recessions. Most recessions, you don't have a soft landing. The Fed tightens and jobs are lost. Companies, you know, not only reduce their hiring plans, they shrink. We're starting from a different place. The financial system is in good shape. There's more jobs and there are people to fill those jobs. Blankfein says it is his opinion that the biggest problem we are facing now is the shutdown of the economy due to the pandemic. 50 years from now, when they write about the history of the period, they'll, they'll put it in its place and it'll fit nicely, neatly in the pattern. But where I'm sitting now, it seems you know quite different. We shut down the economy. People were kept out of their jobs. It was like we shut off a valve. It wasn't the natural order of things. Meantime, Michelle Singletary, a financial columnist for The Washington Post, says it is her opinion that Americans should simply tighten their financial belts and spend smarter. you got to spend smarter. Save whatever you can. And perhaps, you know, housing, that's one of the biggest areas of people's budget. If you can live with someone or have a roommate. Singletary goes on to say it's important for people to continue to spend, if they can, to avoid a doomsday spiral and kick the economy into a deeper recession. Those are the folks we need to not panic because we need you to spend. We need you to go out to the restaurants. And when you go out, tip that server more than 20%. You know, be generous. You can afford to be generous because if they pull back, the very thing that we're trying to avoid, which is a deep recession, will happen. Singletary hopes there's one lesson she believes Americans should take away from this financial trouble. Now, one thing I hope that we learn now and through every type of economy is to not rely so much on debt. We are living the American dream on borrowed money. We borrow for our homes. We borrow for our cars. We borrow to send our kids. We borrow to go on vacation. We even borrow to eat a meal out when we put it on a credit card. And then when we have an economic downturn, people don't have a cushion. And so I try to get people to hate debt. I hate debt. I hate debt so much that if it was a person, I'd slap it. That's how much I hate it. Michelle Nichols, who portrayed communications officer Yahura on the original Star Trek series, died Saturday night. I was pleased that in those days when uh, you couldn't get even blacks on television, that I not only had a black, but a black woman and a black officer. You are away from your post, mister. That'll show him. Nichols was most well-known for her groundbreaking performance on the original Star Trek series. However, unknown to many, Nichols was thinking about leaving the series after the first season until a chance encounter with a super fan. But I didn't know that meeting a Star Trek fan would change my life. I was told that fan wanted to meet me, and I turned and looked into the face of Dr. Martin Luther King. I, I was breathless. He says, yes, I'm the Trekker. I'm a Star Trek fan. And he told me that Star Trek was one of the only shows that his wife, Coretta, and he would allow their little children to stay up and watch. And thanked him, and I told him that I was leaving the show. All the smile came off his face, and he said, you can't do that. He said, don't you understand that for the first time, we are seen as we should be seen? 
You don't have a black role. You have an equal role. And when I went back to work on Monday morning, I went to Jean's office and I told him what had happened over the weekend. And he says, welcome home. We got a lot of work to do. Nichols also shared one of the first interracial kisses in television history on Star Trek. That moment with co-star William Shatner was a courageous move, according to Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry and NBC, considering the climate at the time. Nichols describes how flustered the director became at the thought of filming an interracial kiss. The director whom I knew and had a great deal of respect for, a very fine director, um, said, Bill, uh, and he walks over like I'm not sitting there with Bill Shatner, or Captain Kirk, you know, like I'm not there. And he starts talking to me. He says, uh, you kissed her. And Bill, Bill says, yes, yes, I kissed her. Isn't that what the scene is about? And so he said, and he starts talking out of the side of his mouth like I'm not there. The network bosses wanted the Star Trek actors to film the scene with a kiss and without. And Nichols explains how co-star William Shatner slyly ensured the kiss would be aired. And he takes me, and this time, instead of kissing me this way or whichever way he kissed me, he turns me and bends me over like this and comes down near me and he looks up to the camera and crosses his eyes. He hasn't kissed me. The director doesn't, isn't seeing what the cameraman is seeing who's going. And he says, that's a, that, there we go. He says, that's a wrap. That's a take, and that's a wrap, and thank you very much. Nichols recalls how Shatner crossing his eyes forced the network executives to air the kiss. And finally the suits stand up, and there's this hush. They're going to throw the whole scene out or what? And the suits say, as for the South, because that's the first thing they heard, which changed, you know. It says, go with the kiss. And they look, and they walked out. And we were sitting there like, and the pandemonium broke loose. Laughter, all but the director. And he said, I had a legitimate excuse. I had a legitimate reason. But, but that's how the first interracial kiss came to be on national television in the United States of America, where it can't happen. <laughs> Nichelle Nichols was 89 years old. And finally, looking for a sweet gig? Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Turns out you might be able to eat candy for a living and make thousands in the process. Canada's Candy Funhouse is hiring a chief candy officer, and the sweetest part of the deal is that the Ontario-based company says that position pays $78,000 annually. The job can be remote or based in Canada or at its New Jersey office. 
Vanessa Rebello, a candyologist at Candy Funhouse, explains what the position entails. They'll be uh, taste testing over 3,500 products a month, uh, leading candy board meetings, in charge of the fun house strategy, and ultimately giving the stamp of approval. After telling these people of the job listing, they're interested in the saccharin deal. For that kind of money, <laughs> I'd do it. Oh, I'm ready. Where is it? Rebello goes on to say that applicants should have an open mind about flavor combinations. You got to be willing to try some interesting products. We have bubblegum flavored M&Ms, bacon soda. Applicants can be as young as five years old and must reside in North America. And they do offer a substantial dental plan. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.